One day I was running on the treadmill and I run every single day. It's my passion. It's kind of my uh, outlet, if you will. I finished on the treadmill and my son said to me, Mama, wouldn't it be so cool if money spewed out the treadmill and you didn't have to work? And at first I laughed and I said, oh, Marky, that's so cute. Uh, and then as I got to thinking, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, how cool would it be if actually someone did pay me to exercise? This is Seeking Startups, a show that gives you an inside look into the minds of ambitious people who are changing the world. Learn about what they're building, their personal stories, and invest in the founders you believe in. Now with equity crowdfunding, anyone can invest in early stage private startups. So listen up because you might just discover the next unicorn. I'm your host, Maxim Davis, and today on Seeking Startups, we have Nicole Peckerman, the co-founder of Paid Workout. Nicole has combined her love of marketing and fitness to launch Paid Workout, a fitness app that motivates people to work out through cash prizes. Despite her successful career in marketing, Nicole wanted to go back to her entrepreneurial roots to start a business built with passion. Like many entrepreneurs, Nicole's life hasn't been straightforward, full of many ups and downs. But all along the way, she has picked up many lessons that she implements to this day. I hope you enjoy this engaging episode. Hey, I would like to quickly say that everything you hear in this podcast is for educational purposes only. This is not financial advice and I'm not endorsing this company. Please do proper due diligence before investing in any startup. Okay, now with that out of the way, let's get started. So Nicole, tell me about Paid Workout and what you're working on. So Paid Workout is a fitness motivation app. It's in the wellness gamification space. And basically the objective of Paid Workout is for users to join fitness challenges. They pay a registration fee and then they compete uh, in home groups or in 30 minute challenges, all short in duration. And whoever comes out on top uh, in terms of the leaderboard wins cash. Um, so it's a super motivating fitness app where people stand the chance of winning cash, uh, some smaller amounts, as well as some high roller challenges with some larger amounts, uh, all the way up to a million bucks in a single week. Um, so it's, uh, it's highly, highly motivating. And uh, it's really, really nice to see users creating health and wellness habits. The, the entire premise of paid workout is really developing an app that is proven from a behavioral science perspective to create habit change with users. And so as I've begun the journey around paid workout, uh, some of the research uh, suggests, and this is probably not a surprise to you, that over 66% of North Americans quit their health and wellness routine within three months of starting it. So most people, you know, do get tired. Um, we're right around the corner of New Year's resolution season. And, you know, people are just about to embark upon these journeys. And what my mission is and what our job is, is to really create these health and wellness habits that will stand the test of time for people and really truly help them get healthy and fit and well. So we talk about our mission being wellness through movement for all. Uh, you don't have to be a professional athlete. You can be a newbie, but you can still kind of achieve that habitual uh, movement and activity that um, that we know is, is really, really healthy for us. Mm -hmm. And uh, once COVID hit, uh, I, um, I started to learn a little bit more about myself and what I wanted. And I am a health nut. 
I also am blessed uh, with a, a beautiful family. I have two kids. And uh, one day I was running on the treadmill and I run every single day. It's my passion. It's kind of my uh, outlet, if you will. I finished on the treadmill and my son said to me, Mama, wouldn't it be so cool if money spewed out the treadmill and you didn't have to work? And at first I laughed and I said, oh, Marky, that's so cute. Uh, And then as I got to thinking, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, how cool would it be if actually someone did pay me to exercise? I mean, I do it every day because I love it, but I know that there are so many people out there who are saying, you know, oh, I wish I, how do you do it, Nicole? People always ask me, how do you do it? How do you stay motivated every day? How do you have that consistency every day? Um, and for me, it's just, it's my outlet. It's, you know, a, a way of feeling good about myself. I get that adrenaline rush. I get endorphins. Um, and I just feel good about myself so I can give more to others. So I'm a better mom. I'm a better marketer. I'm a better professional. But a lot of people don't necessarily feel that way. So I wanted to find a way to get to the point where everyone can feel like I do exercising in a very regular, habitual way. And that's how Paid Workout was actually born. Wow, yeah, that's very fascinating. Um, Let's go back. I would like to get to know a little bit more about you. So, Nicole, where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? I grew up uh, in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and uh, I am an only child and I'm a first generation Canadian. So both of my parents immigrated to Canada from Russia, actually. Oh, wow. So you said that your parents moved from Russia. What part of Russia? So my dad was from Odessa on the Black Sea, which is now a part of the Ukraine. And my mom's from Moscow. Oh, interesting. So um, they moved over here. And why did they move in the first place? I think they just wanted, uh, honestly, to go to the land of opportunity, right? I mean, they were in communist Russia. They um, were definitely... um, you know, held back in certain ways. And I think my mom was just a child when, when she moved, um, she was 12 years old. And so her parents wanted to give her more opportunities. Um, so they kind of took her and moved. And my dad was already an adult when he moved, he moved when he was 30. And again, um, it was just all about, um, opportunity, giving his family a better life eventually when he had a family and they definitely instilled, uh, the, uh, hard work ethic, uh, in, me. Um, My dad was an entrepreneur. um, Mm -hmm. And my mom always worked growing up, she was a uh, an assistant, uh, and then a manager of a um, of a physician's office. You know, I I listen to a lot of first generation folks kind of say, how can I not um, kind of work as hard as they did um, and and uh, appreciate the life that I've been given. Um, So I think a a lot of the human that I've become is is truly, uh, you know, because of their stories and the upbringing that I've had and and truly the hardships that they had to go through to give me all of the opportunities, you know, to, to grow up in a, in a, in a nice home with, you know, ample food to eat. Um, when I was a baby, my parents didn't have enough money to buy diapers. Um, so they kind of, you know, made it to a point where they could afford a, you know, a a nice upbringing for me. And so now I'm just so grateful. And I, you know, definitely want to give my children all of the things that I have and even more. Um, so I think that that really made me who I am today. And so you said that your dad was an entrepreneur. What company did he have and what was it about? 
So he was kind of a serial entrepreneur, which is super interesting. So when he came to Canada, he he worked for Magna International. And he was an architect and an engineer. Um, and then he he kind of pivoted and he opened up a, a cafe called Butler's Cafe in the heart of the Toronto Fashion District. And it was huge and amazing and, and successful, but it wasn't his passion. So he closed up shop. And he actually uh, created a company called Zlatko Frameworks, which is a steel fabrication company where he kind of fused his passion for design and engineering together. Um, and so he, uh, he ended up um, making uh, high-end office furniture for companies like Global and Technion. Um, he, he made a ton of car parts for GM. Um, he, you know, he made a ton of uh, interesting... Um, racking systems for companies like uh, Walmart and um, Sears and um, Wilco and and all these kind of huge retailers, the body shop as well. So um, he ended up doing a lot of uh, really cool stuff with um, some larger companies. Um, An interesting, I mean, not super interesting, but uh, sad interesting uh, story is that my dad actually uh, became ill when I was uh, 20 years old and uh, sadly passed away from cancer. Oh, wow. um, and when he passed away, I actually took over the business while I was finishing my business degree. And then at the very end, uh, I actually started my job over at Kraft while running Zlatko. Wow. And uh, I, I honestly think it was kind of a miraculous event that happened. But um, a couple of my customers actually came to me and they said, do you want to sell this business? Um, and I said, yes, I do, because I'm not an engineer and I'm not an architect. I'm a 20 year old business student um, that is, you know, trying to keep it together. Um, and so I ended up selling to three partners that were my customers at the time. And one of the last pieces of advice that my dad gave me uh, is just do what you love. Like that's literally what he said, just do what you love and you will have a good life. And for me, uh, I fell in love with marketing. And I, uh, right out of uh, business school, uh, went and uh, started working for Kraft, uh, Kraft Foods at the time. Now it's Kraft Heinz. Um, and I spent about 12 years at Kraft within the marketing department. I worked on all the best brands in the building. I always said I worked on Oreo and Chips Ahoy and Blue Box and Philadelphia Cream Cheese and DiGiorno Pizza. Uh, you name it, I kind of worked on it. And it was uh, a fascinating, uh, fascinating education in marketing uh, and something I was really passionate about. Um, thereafter, I joined uh, the biggest retailer in Canada, uh, Weston Foods, uh, and I, uh, I ran their marketing department there. Uh, and then I, I actually worked at RBI, which is based out of um, Miami, Florida. Uh, and RBI, if you're not familiar, is a company that uh, runs some QSR or quick serve restaurant brands like Popeyes, Burger King, and Tim Hortons. Um, so I, uh, I very graciously accepted uh, the vice president of marketing role there and learned a lot from Fernando Machado, who is at ages CMO of the year. He is uh, a phenomenal teacher. And so I, I love marketing. I love what I do. It, 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 it makes me happy just to wake up and go to work and, and, uh, you know, create uh, campaigns and, and build businesses for 
people around the world. Um, but what I realized is that I lost a bit of myself in all the different roles that I took on. So I'm, I'm a health nut. I exercise every day. I eat super clean. Um, but I was, I was hawking fast food for majority of my career, like, you know, DiGiorno pizza and like blue box mac and cheese. Um, and then, you know, obviously Popeyes and Burger King. And I had this aha moment where I said, if I love marketing so much, and I love health and wellness so much. Um, and I've always wanted to go back to these entrepreneurial roots that I had. Why not kind of combine all three things um, and become an entrepreneur in the health and wellness space and, you know, market, market whatever it is I do um, in the best way that I can. And so for me, this paid workout role is so fulfilling because it's an entrepreneurial project that I've always wanted to do. And then health and wellness and marketing kind of fuse together as well. Um, and at the end of the day, I feel like uh, in some strange way, I'm making my dad proud because, you know, I'm doing what I love and uh, making it happen. That's fascinating. Can you talk a little bit more about your experience running um, that business that your your father owned? I mean, at 20 years old, that's very young, right? To run a <laughs> yes. business like that. What, I mean, what did you learn from that? What was that experience like? Um, uh, it was very daunting uh, and intimidating. Um, I, you know, imagine entering as a 20 year old, uh, you know, very young person coming into, you know, I will admit a very male dominated field. Um, we had a, a, a massive um, uh, welding area and we had tool and die area and we had, you know, hundreds of welders. Um, and suddenly wow. I come in with, you know, with my dad passing and, and I say, hey guys, I'm going to run <laughs> this place at 20. What's up? <laughs> Um, and obviously I was a little bit more professional than that, but I can only imagine what, you know, these people thought when suddenly I came into the picture. Um, I think a lot of people stayed because of the respect that they had for my dad. Um, I think a lot of people, if you think about steel fabrication, obviously we had to purchase steel. We had a lot of contracts, um, short term and long term, uh, a lot of them with Russia. And a lot of these people tried to cheat me out of money and cheat me on steel pricing. And thank God, you know, I, I had seven months with my dad um, where he was kind of teaching me um, the ways and, and telling me about pricing and telling me about what to expect. So, you know, I definitely people tried to pull stuff on me and I'm sure some things I don't even know and they slid through. Um, but I definitely uh, proved myself a couple times by calling calling people on on what they were trying to do to me or with me <laughs> in terms of sure. pricing and uh, supply chain. Um, I will also say that I had a team uh, that was incredible. So the, the plant foreman was incredible. Um, the office staff, incredible. So I was able to run things with their help. Um, you always talk about trusting your team. Uh, there was never a moment uh, that then that was more true than then, right? So I come in, I'm really young, obviously inexperienced. This is my first time running a business. Um, but everyone around me uh, kind of pulled together and did their job in the best of their ability. And for me, that was the biggest lesson, particularly going into corporate, because often, you know, as uh, at school, you're an individual contributor, Mm -hmm. um, at school, yes, you have team projects, but you always have your part and you have to kind of go up and do it. 
Um, but what this taught me was that, you know, working in a team and letting everyone, um, you know, stand up and do their job and provide their part and their expertise is more worthwhile than anything in the world. Um, it also taught me uh, a lot about trust in the workplace. Um, it taught me, uh, you know, a, a lot about resilience because it was extremely hard. Um, it also taught me like, don't do what you are not an expert at. So for me, I came in and everyone was asking me, uh, you know, architectural questions because that's what my dad would do. Uh, and I was like, time out. I need to hire an architect because I am not one. Um, here's what I can do. I can go in and sell. I can do the marketing. I can think about new products and new opportunities and I can do business development. Here's what I can't do. I am not going to go back there and weld anything. I can tell you that. And I am not going to go and, you know, formulate uh, blueprints for a new high tech, high end chair. But what I am going to do is I'm going to try and, you know, fill those roles that are now missing within the organization because of my dad's departure. Um, and I'll also say that for me, it was all about relationship building and all about uh, the relationships that my dad built. So he built such strong relationships with our customers that our customers still trusted Zlatko even after his passing. And you know, I think that was incredibly important and, you know, follow through on what you say, follow through on your product. So we ensured that all of our products were delivered on time. We ensured that all of our products were always of the standard that was always expected of us. We didn't change anything. Um, and, and delivering those things in a trustworthy manner was critically important to the success, the ongoing success of the business. And, you know, thankfully, three years down the road, I was definitely, you know, burnt out. Um, I was out of ideas. I think the team was starting to gel. The new team was starting to gel. Um, and again, like these three, you know, amazing people who came to me and said, we want to buy Zlatko. I was like, okay, you go and do that. Yay. <laughs> um, so I can kind of go and focus on what my passion right. projects are. Fascinating. I would call it like a, an MBA, right? You got your MBA right there and then from, from the very exactly, beginning. Exactly, exactly. Like double MBA or something like that. But um, it was uh, it was definitely an amazing experience and, and one that I value tremendously. And, you know, I look back now and I'll like Google's Latco and I'm so proud <laughs> that it's still there and still doing its thing. Right. Um, so it's it's really nice to see for sure. Hey, I hope you're enjoying the show. When we come back, you'll get to hear what Nicole did to get her company off the ground. But before that, I thought you might be interested in hearing a few stats about paid workout. So in 2020, paid workout was operating pre-revenue with a net loss of $64,716. The company is currently headquartered in Miami, Florida. Paid workout has over 25,000 users. Paid workout has a 12.5% conversion rate from the free to the paid version of the app. And Paid Workout has paid out over $65,000 in prizes to its users. Okay, now let's get back to the episode. Let's move on to um, your current company. So Paid Workout has been around for about a year. Um, Walk me through your experience growing your company up to this present day. So you've had this idea. What did you do afterwards? 
I started thinking and researching like crazy. I was kind of like, uh, you know, my, my marketing background always says you need to prove out the concept before you start to build, right? You need to have a really solid foundation. And luckily, uh, I had written about a zillion biz props um, across a multitude of uh, innovations. Uh, I was actually head of innovations of Craft Canada for a long time. So uh, I knew kind of what the innovation process needed to look like. Mm -hmm. So I immediately went into my research. Is there a true opportunity here? What is the behavioral science behind it? And how can I build it into some kind of product? Sure. Um, how, what would the business model look like? Um, how, what would the profitability and the margins look like? So I just did probably two months of solid research okay. uh, while I was working, obviously, my corporate job. Um, because, you know, you need money to live uh, and support a family. Um, so once I established that, you know, there is a white space opportunity, once I established that there is strength in the concept uh, and that there is viability within the business model, uh, that's kind of when I went to work and said, okay, if this is going to be an app, Again, like I am not an app developer. I always say, you know, go to the experts. So I RFP'd app development. Okay. So I wrote an RFP document, so a request for proposal, and shared it with a bunch of development companies. Um, I interviewed each company, and then I started uh, to kind of hone in on who it is I wanted to work with. We selected a company. Uh, and we were off to the races. So we, again, focused a lot on UX, so user experience. Uh, and we focused a lot on uh, reducing barriers to entry in terms of, again, the, the, the app and uh, usability, just making sure that, you know, it's small but big, like making sure that PayPal actually works, sure. making sure that, you know, uh, uh, the app has an easy onboarding process, making sure that on the back end, we can actually integrate with Google Fit and Apple Health apps. And, uh, you know, then, you know, the deeper you go, the more kind of questions you have. So, you know, oh my gosh, now that I can connect to Apple Health and Google Fit, um, there's a huge wearable market. I mean, I wear my wearable right. nonstop. So now I'm going to need to integrate with wearables. So, the, the first process was about two months of, of research and kind of mental design, if you will. Then there was the RFP process. And once I selected a dev team, then we really got to working. Uh, we had a minimum viable product. Right. Um, probably within three months, um, we did a, a deep beta test. Um, so we had probably several hundred folks um, beta test the app, give us feedback. How did you get those early users? Um, honestly, it was family and friends. It was family and friends and folks that I knew were interested in health and wellness and fitness. Um, and yeah, just kind of gathered as many people as we could um, to take part of it. Uh, and then obviously offering rewards. Like if you take part of it, we'll give you a thousand dollar gift card or visa or something like that. I think reward is, is incredibly important. And people just want to be heard. People want to have give their input. Um, so we did a bunch of survey monkeys. We adapted the app after the beta test, and then we were ready to launch. Um, so we launched with a pretty large scale influencer program okay. along with, um, I would say for a very small brand new app, a sizable uh, social media budget as well. We worked uh, with incredible agencies. So we worked with VizSense on the influencer side. 
Um, I actually met them as I was speaking at a marketing conference and I had never heard of them before. It was a North American conference and they came up and they shared what their proposition was and it was very interesting. So I reached out to them and then we started working together. Um, and then from a marketing lens, um, we are incorporated in Florida. So uh, I looked at agencies uh, in Florida. I was very familiar with the Floridian market because um, RBI is based in Florida. Our agency is based in Florida as well. Um, so looked around for agencies. I found an agency that was a great fit um, because they were a smaller agency. So we weren't going to be the smallest fish in the biggest pond. Um, they were a small agency that did incredible work and that also had a similar background to me, uh, which is, you know, CPG, QSR marketing, uh, big budgets. And so they understood my mind and how to work with me <laughs> because, um, I think the mindset is really important and working with a team of folks who kind of understand each other is really important. So, you know, got the marketing team together and we started to develop creative, uh, develop ideas and, you know, we launched and we launched really strong. Um, and before we knew it, um, we had, I think 10,000 users in 150 days. Wow. And within six months we were at 20,000. We're well over 25 now on our way to 50. Um, so it was a really really fast trajectory. Uh, we absolutely waited until January purposely uh, because of the key season, the New Year's resolution season. So a brand that I worked on in my past uh, on the bakery side was Weight Watchers. And so I learned a lot about seasonality and health and wellness on that business that I kind of transitioned onto paid workout. And I said, you know, obviously everybody knows there's a peak in January for health, wellness and fitness. So we need to launch in January um, and we launched with a lot of amazing influencers, which was very, very helpful. And a lot of new learnings came out of that for me uh, from a marketing lens as well as we see the industry changing now from, you know, more traditional social ads or TV ads to, you know, this new social currency with influencers. Right. Um, what is the hardest challenge that Paid Workout has faced so far? I think the hardest challenge uh, still remains, actually, and it is um, the cynicism of people uh, okay. everywhere. I think, you know, you you propose like, hey, everyone, we're going to give you cash to work out. And everyone is just so cynical. Oh, it has to be a scam. This is mm. not real. Um, there are cheaters. There are this. There are that. So for us, um, we've always faced this from day one. People really struggled with like believing that this is actually true. And so what our role is ongoing is to drive credibility for the brand every single day. And for us, the most important way to share that credibility is actual users who are amazingly happy. Um, so I just got this beautiful note from one of our users. Her name is Ashley. And she actually shared with us that um, through a lot of hard work, um, and definitely a lot of complimentary products. Paid Workout has helped her lose over 100 pounds. Wow. And Paid Workout, you know, has helped her drive this health and wellness habit ongoing. And, you know, she was pre-diabetic and she was on all kinds of medication. And she shared with us that she's no longer pre-diabetic and she's no longer on medication. And, you know, she got married and she shared the before and after pictures of her in her wedding dress. And, those are the moments for me that are the most meaningful because that's exactly the change that I was looking to drive as we started paid workout. And that is so precious to me because that drives the credibility um, through the roof with our users when we share 
um, stories about our winners. Um, so what we do, you know, every week is we share our real life winners mm-hmm. with our community. So here are the winners from Dash On Demand. Here are the winners of our, you know, high roller challenge. The more real people that we show, the more credible we are. And then it's really cool to see brand evangelists come to our rescue. So, you know, there will be an ad that we pop out there and someone says, oh, this is a scam. And then we don't even have to say anything. It's super cool. Like our users come in and they're like, this is not a scam. This is awesome. I've won so much money and I lost so much weight. And, you know, I don't even, I like stand back, sit back. I'm like, this is the best conversation I've ever read online. This is awesome. So it's really amazing to see you know, these, these early brand evangelists come in and, and really believe in what we're doing. Fascinating. So you say building the credibility has been the best way to uh, face that challenge, right? Absolutely. And so what is your vision of the future in the fitness industry? You're building this app, looking five, 10 years out, where do you see the fitness industry going? I think we're in a a really incredible moment. I think we've already seen this uh, uh, transition. And I think COVID has helped in a lot of ways unlock the potential of the fitness industry uh, virtually. So I think a lot of us, myself included, truly believed that I couldn't do it without going to a gym. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, you know, the second COVID happened, I literally said to my husband, I'm like, if, if we don't get a treadmill, I will literally kill you. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I was like, you're going to be scared of me all the time. I need my treadmill. So I got a treadmill and then I started just doing it at home. And then there was an explosion of uh, virtual classes and uh, fitness apps. Um, and it was really incredible. And so right now, I think we're at this moment Um, where I think in the next five to 10 years, rather than just being virtual or having on-demand classes or having apps, we're going to transition into wellness gamification. So I, I believe that that's the next big thing in health, wellness, and fitness. I think we've seen, um, you know, story, success stories like DraftKings, right. And FanDuel, and we've seen just games like Candy Crush crush it right? Activation Blizzard continues to grow unbelievably when you think about games and technology, right? Right. So I think the next five to 10 years is going to unlock gamification to truly drive habitual change. Mm. Um, I was reading actually a study on uh, health and fitness apps. And it was really fascinating to read that while there's an influx of hundreds and hundreds of apps that amass, I believe it's for all of the health, wellness, fitness apps amass $4 billion globally. There are virtually no apps that drive a change in habit from a behavioral science perspective. Um, so I think the next phase is while all this stuff is available, consumer behavior is not changing. In order to get consumer consumers to change their behavior, we need to ensure that we motivate them extrinsically and intrinsically in the right way. Sure. And so I think, you know, paid workout is definitely leading the charge. Um, but I think that is definitely uh, the next era in health, wellness and fitness. When we come back, you'll get to hear how Nicole is protecting her company from her competitors. But before that, here's how you can personally invest in Paid Workout. Paid Workout is currently raising up to 1.07 
million dollars at a 5.01 million dollar pre-money valuation on Start Engine. Funding is currently open, but is scheduled to close on April 19th, 2022. But if they hit their maximum funding limit before then, the round will automatically close. If you're interested in getting more information, check the show notes where you can find a link to their funding page. And as you're building this app and you in, in building out this future, how are you building a moat around your company so that someone else doesn't come in and try to do what you're doing? Patents. <laughs> Um, so we have uh, a number of uh, amazing pieces of our uh, technology uh, patented or patent pending, I should say. Um, so the, the couple pieces are uh, one around um, anti-cheat mechanisms that we have in place. So when you do gamify fitness and wellness, particularly for money, of course, people are going to try and cheat the system. So we have uh, a 10-factor anti-cheat patent pending. Uh, we also have a really interesting activity score algorithm that is patent pending. Okay. The reason that our uh, al- algorithm is differentiated is because it equivalizes people no matter what size they are. Hmm. So for example, if I am working out next to someone who is triple my size... Typically, in any workout routine, in any gym, you would see their output be much higher than mine Mm -hmm. if I'm one-third of their size. What we've done is we've come up with an awesome way to actually equivalize us so that it really is about my personal output versus their personal output that is actually equivalized so that we can be equals. Um, So that is also another patent that we have uh, pending. Uh, as well. And so everything that we develop, we do try and put a patent against it um, so that we are a little bit more protected. Um, And then at the end of the day, um, we're definitely uh, a first player out, which is really, really good. Uh, It's very important to have that first player advantage. Um, And again, uh, brand brand building and, and brand notoriety, I think it's really important as we continue to build that credibility and as people start to find out about paid workout, um, having that, um, you know, trusted branding is, is really, really important. Um, we're actually going to be featured next week on Good Morning America, which is super that exciting. That is fascinating. Yay! Wow. Um, yeah, so on December 15th. So the more that we, uh, that we get out there in as big a way as possible, um, the, the, the better it is for us for sure. Perfect. Wow. So moving on to your team. So your co-founder is also your husband. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And um, why did you both come together and think, you know, this is something we both want to do? And how has that experience been? It's been amazing. Uh, I know it's people say it's hard to work with their partners. Um, but for, for us, the reason I think we chose to work together was that we balance each other and we complement each other, not just from a skill set perspective, but from a personality perspective as well. So interestingly enough, you know, I am definitely the marketer, the salesperson, um, the idea person, the vision person. And Mike, the co-founder, my husband, um, he is a, a brilliant person when it comes to technology and coding and building. And uh, he's a lawyer by trade, but um, he's actually, he had an app before that was a SaaS, a software as a service um, that he helped co-develop and we, he exited as well. Wow. Um, so his 
strengths and capabilities um, are, are the perfect kind of counterbalance to mine. So he definitely had a, a leadership role when it came to uh, uh, taking my ideas and making them happen on the app. So, you know, I would say, I think we need badges and like, we need uh, a token system and we need this. And he'd be like, okay, uh, let's put that into code speak and here's what we need to do. Um, so he helped me translate that to the developers. So again, it's really all about building a team that is perfectly complementary. If he and I were co-CMOs, it probably wouldn't work because he'd say, I want to do this. And I would say, I want to do that. And it would just be crazy. Um, but he kind of lets me lead when it comes to my lane. And I certainly let him lead when it comes to his lane. And then we obviously come together and discuss things and align on things. And we really don't let the personal stuff get in the way. Um, so it's, it's worked very well. Um, and for him, uh, he's again, a lawyer by trade. He has his own firm, uh, in, uh, corporate commercial law. Uh, it's called corporate counsel. So he has offices in Toronto, Vancouver, and Florida. Um, and you know, he sees, uh, people developing apps all the time, people being entrepreneurial all the time, people listing new companies on stock exchanges all the time. And he also has this entrepreneurial bug. So when we started talking about what our son said, we were kind of like, should we go for it? And we both just said, you know, we believe in this idea. Um, and yeah, we just, we said, let's go for it. Um, and then again, from a talent perspective, uh, we, we wanted the best of the best when it comes to development, when it comes to creative, when it comes to social. Um, so it's, it's, you know, often, you know, really Really hard to get to top tier talent. Um, so we did have some rough patches with with some talent, but we are in a place where, you know, I trust our dev team implicitly. Um, and I think the one factor that makes all the difference is passion. So when people approach it as like a side hustle or as just a gig or, you know, they're just developing because that's what their bosses told them to do. Um, that's one thing. And then when someone is really into the idea and they believe in it and they want to be part of something that's big and growing and exciting, um, that's another. So it's interesting that our entire development team without us asking is like full on, you know, taking the challenges on the app and participating in the app and, you know, learning as they go because they actually want it to succeed because they love it. Um, so passion for the project is critically important when it comes to selecting talent. So that's part of your hiring philosophy, finding someone that's really passionate, right? 100%. Makes sense. And so can you tell me a little bit more about the uh, other team members? Yeah. Um, so uh, our dev team is in Eastern Europe. We actually found them through a recruiting agency and we interviewed probably hundreds of people. Wow. And I didn't have, we both interviewed Mike and I, Mike for obviously the technical, but then both of us for the personality and making sure we can work well together. Um, and there was a spark that these individuals had, you know, one is, um, you know, Oxford educated, um, back end, one of our leader, one of the leaders on the dev team, Oxford educated back end. Um, one is, you know, front end, um, and has done, you know, has experience up the wazoo when it comes to gaming and applications. Um, so having a leader on the back end and the front end was critically important for us. Um, but then when, when we told them about the idea, firstly, visually, you could just see their eyes light up and their, you know, you could see their wheels turning. 
And when you get into a conversation online with someone on a Zoom, when they're like, and then you could do this, and then you could do that. And, and on one app, I did this, and I could do this here. You just feel this excitement and banter. And for me, that's critically important. Same thing goes with creative agencies. When I you know, was RFPing agencies, um, and I started to share the idea, when you see people light up and start ideating, you know that's the right person. Um, so we work with New Lane um, and VizSense, and both agencies were just like, oh my God, we can do this, we can do this, and they just went. And so that's how, you know, I knew that they were the right fit. Awesome. So let's talk about um, your fundraising. So there are many different ways, right? You could get angel investors, you can get uh, venture capitalists. Why did you decide on equity crowdfunding? Uh, it's, it's an interesting story. Uh, I was looking for funding. Um, we were bootstrapping for quite a long time and we got to a point where we were like, we really want to unlock the, uh, opportunity here. And in order to do that, we need to, you know, increase our mar- marketing budget tenfold. What do we need? We need capital. Um, so I, you know, I'm a, I frequent Clubhouse, uh, quite a bit. Okay. So Clubhouse is obviously an app where you, uh, there are different rooms where you can have conversations with experts. Um, and I went into, uh, a joint venture capital room. Uh, and it's called the pitch club. Uh, and so I pitched my business and I gave them my spiel. Uh, and, uh, there were like three or four people that were like, Oh my God, DM me right away. I have to talk to you. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is cool. So I ended up DMing a lot of these people and a gentleman by the name of Mark Elkman, uh, from Florida as well. Um, you know, said, ah, I knew someone was going to do this. I didn't know when I knew it was going to be in the next couple of years, but I love this idea and I want to work with you. And so he is, um, uh, an investor and an entrepreneur. He, uh, he at the very, I think in his early twenties, uh, built like a seven figure food delivery business. Um, he is a, an orange theory owner of probably six or seven clubs. Um, and he's very well connected in the health and wellness industry. Um, and he just said, I want to partner with you. I want to work with you. Um, so we became partners and then, um, he introduced us to a gentleman by the name of Steve Mandel. And so Steve Mandel is, uh, an attorney by trade, but also, uh, a, a serial entrepreneur. Um, and he's obsessed with health, wellness, and fitness. Um, so he ended up, um, joining our team as well. So now there's kind of, uh, four of us, uh, on, on kind of like the leadership team, and he had um, done a bunch of uh, crowdfunding on Start Engine before. And he said, you know, we, you have such a loyal fan base that I bet you would be extremely successful um, crowdfunding versus going any other way. So he introduced us to Start Engine. Um, we were obviously very drawn to Start Engine as a crowdfunding uh, company. We went that route because we believed our users were our biggest advocates and they would likely invest as well. Um, and that actually ended up being true. So we, um, we are very lucky to have as many users as we have and we have a massive email list. And the second we started the crowdfunding campaign, I sent out an email to our community just sharing the news. And next thing you know, we have a bunch of investors who are actually users. And I'm like, oh my God, there's Johnny. Oh my God, there's Chris. Oh my God. You just, you you don't realize how in it they are until they actually put down dollars. 
And again, it was it was humbling. Um, and it was really nice that they believe in us so much. Um, but that kind of confirmed that that was the right way to go. So you're currently the vice president of marketing at Tim Hortons Canada and Global. Is that is that right? So I, I left in February. Oh, so, you did? Okay. Um, yes, I did. So um, so while we were ideating, developing, working on uh, this project, um, I was with Tim's. And then uh, in February, after launch, things got really, really hectic and really, really busy on paid workout. And, you know, I said to my co-founder and husband, I said, hey, you know, do you think that, you know, this is the right precipice in time uh, for me to kind of do paid workout full time? And, you know, his guidance and his advice was, you know, if you're passionate about this and you're in it for the long haul... Um, and you really want to do it, you can't have a crutch. And I felt like my corporate job was my crutch. You know, it, it was always there to fall back on just in case. Um, but then, you know, he said, if you really want in and if you really want to do this and if you really want to be successful, um, you know, you got to jump with both feet. And I said, you're 100% right. Uh, and if you're comfortable with that, I'm going to do it. And so I left. I um, and it was, uh, it was a really big and challenging move for me, um, both from an ego perspective and just like, you know, a career perspective. Um, sure. Uh, I think, you know, everyone, you, you think about what others will think of you. Um, and I said, you know, to my husband, what will they say? What will they think? Um, you know, I finally made it VP marketing, you know, made it to that top of the ladder or in the C-suite. And then she, you know, backs out. Um, and my husband said, well, firstly, who are they? And secondly, who cares what they think if this is your passion project? Um, and you don't know, this could be, you know, the next big thing. Um, you know, just do it and forget about what others think of you. Just believe in yourself. Um, and I think that's a really important piece of advice to any founder, to any human out there, because, you know, a lot of the time, um, you know, I may have wanted to leave in the past, but I was always scared. Mm -hmm. Um, what if this happens? What if that happens? Um, and you know, something that my husband and I often talk about is most people aren't built to be entrepreneurs. Most people aren't built to jump with both feet without having a net or a crutch. Um, and so, you know, most people don't have that courage. Uh, I am happy that he pushed me into, into that space where I could have that courage. Um, and, you know, I, I am so, so, so happy that, uh, that I'm here and that I did it. And no matter what happens, uh, you know, win, lose or draw, um, I will have this experience as an incredible learning experience that I never, ever would have had in a corporate environment. Interesting. So in entrepreneurship, uh, do you think it's more important to be courageous or intelligent? Um, can I cop out and say both? I think courage is a mandatory to be an entrepreneur. Um, but I think, um, I think intelligence is really, really, really important um, because you have to know uh, what your skill set is. And again, I go back to this and what you need from other folks uh, it, to ensure that you are successful. And, you know, part of intelligence is being humble enough to know what your strengths and what your opportunities are. So I would say... 
courage is an executional mandatory of entrepreneurship where if you don't have courage to live every day and say, oh my God, am I going to fail? Oh my God, do I have enough money? Oh my God, you know, I'm in, I'm in the red, I'm in the black. I mean, every day something happens and I'm up one minute and I'm down the next emotionally and physically and just, you know, everything. So if you don't have the stomach or the courage for that, I would not recommend entrepreneurship. Um, so that's kind of phase one. But then if, if you're not uh, intelligent in whatever it is that you're looking to do, um, I, I think success will be challenging. Um, and I think intelligence is so many different things. I think there's emotional intelligence. I think there's, you know, IQ intellectual intelligence. And I think there's also subject matter intelligence. Um, for example, my husband had this awesome idea years ago before this actually existed. He's like, I have this great idea. We're going to build a fridge and uh, the fridge is going to uh, weigh all of the different items on, on the shelves. So let's say you put a jug of milk and it has a liter in it. It knows that it's a liter. And then when there's like a drop left, it knows that there's only a drop left. So it sends a notice to your phone to say, you need more milk. And I was like, that's a sick idea. I love it. How the heck are we going to build a fridge? How the <laughs> heck are we going to do any of this? Who's going to help us do this? Like, it was an amazing idea, but I think we both had the intelligence to, to say, we are not the experts in this area. So while it's a good idea, I'm not sure we should pursue it. Um, so I, that's where intelligence comes in as well. You have to find the idea that you can actually execute with excellence because you can have, we always used to say this in corporate and this is so cliche, but you can have an A plus idea, but if execution is C, mm -hmm. you ain't got shit. You know <laughs> what I mean? So um, as long as you know that you can have an A plus idea and an A plus execution, you're set. This has been an episode of Seeking Startups. I'm your host, Max Davis, and thank you for listening to the whole show. Make sure to subscribe and like this episode. Before I let you go, if you're a founder who is interested in getting highlighted on the show, email me at maxim at seekingstartups.com. Once again, thank you. And until next time, keep investing in the future. <laughs>